Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And I would like, we would like, to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Is it time for a brew nap yet? For what? A brew nap. What's that? It's a kangaroo who's taking a nap and looking all adorable. Oh. They'll get it. Okay. I mean, that's the important thing. (laughs) Yes, it is. There is someone out there that understands me. (laughs) (laughs) I understand you, usually. This is true. (laughs) Give me some credit. (laughs) You can have all the credit. (laughs) Good. I'll take it. Today we'll be discussing The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. Chloe Fong is too busy with making lists about her entrepreneurial ambitions and revenge plots to give the man who almost kissed her any of her time as she checks off her tasks. Jeremy Wentworth is secretly the Duke of Lansing, as well as the man who didn't stick around after their near kiss three years before, but he has now returned with plans for her list making. She'd like to check him off, but he won't let her, not without a fight. There will be spoilers beyond this point, and we have a content warning for mentions of racism. So, Erica, Chloe starts off very busy at the start of the book. Why is she so busy? This story takes place in Victorian-era England in the village of Wedgford. I don't know if it really exists or existed or not. Google says no. Okay. The fictional, possibly, (laughs) village of Wedgford in 1891, Chloe is preparing for the Wedgford Trials, which is an annual festival that they hold every year. It brings in a lot of tourism to their village. Part of the trials is they hide these things called wedge lots. They're called tokens. And whoever finds the token gets something. I don't know if it's just notoriety or if it's an actual something. I think it's bragging rights. I can't remember. They also hide these things called frauds, which are wedge lots. Fraudulent imposter wedge lots. I don't know. Apparently it's a big, big thing. And it's especially big for her this year because her father is an excellent cook. And he has this currently still unnamed sauce that they're hoping to launch at the trials this year. She's kind of spearheaded this whole idea. She knows that he wants it to become popular, to become a part of cuisine, become famous. And she's kind of taken that over. Like, okay, well, we're going to launch it at the trials and we'll sell jars and we'll have this, that, and the other. And so she's currently getting all her ducks in a row. One of Chloe's main characteristics, I would say, is list making. Mm-hmm. I think her trial nickname is Miss Lists. Yes, it is. She's a perfectionist and she uses these lists to organize literally everything about her life. She gets up in the morning and makes a list for the day. And if tasks get added to her day, she has to reorder her list. And then she follows her list and she gets this sense of achievement as she checks things off. She defines a perfect day as a day where she checks everything off her list, but that doesn't usually happen because another of Chloe's defining characteristics is she takes on everything. (laughs) She does. She really does. (laughs) She's perpetually adding things to her list and then it just gets longer and longer and it doesn't all get checked off. Mm -hmm. And as she's wandering around 
the village working on her list, she, I think, literally bumps into Jeremy, who is her friend, childhood sweetheart. I'm not sure. He only shows up annually at the trials and he stays for the trials and then he leaves. And actually he hasn't been visiting for the past three years. So she's kind of like written him off. But before that, they were really close. They were friends. They seemed to be developing feelings for each other. And the last time that she saw him, he tried to kiss her and she put a hand in his chest and pushed him away and said, no, you have to be serious about me if you're going to do that. And then he just stopped coming. And she's like, oh, I see how things are. (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't necessarily make all the feelings go away. So she gets all this resurgence of all that when she sees him again. And he is very much a like a congenial sort of guy. He likes to have fun. He likes to seem chill. He likes to joke around and tease. And she likes it when he teases her, but she doesn't want to start anything with him unless he is serious about the relationship. She doesn't want to be just a fling. She doesn't want to be debauched. Yeah. Which is a big deal, especially in the time period. That would ruin young ladies. She doesn't want her feelings to be toyed with. Well, no, not without her consent. I guess we should talk a little bit about their ethnic backgrounds, too, because uh, it is part of the story. Yeah. Chloe is Chinese. She lives in England in this town of Wedgford, which is kind of multiracial. So a lot of people who are Chinese or part Chinese live there, in addition to white people, in addition to others, possibly. It didn't go into much detail as far as that goes, but that's kind of an anomaly In England during this time period, that is not a thing. Not a thing elsewhere. Yeah, it seems to be isolated. Yes. So she very much, like, this is her home. She doesn't want to live anywhere else. All her family and her friends and everybody is there. And she has this amazing ability to live a relatively judgment-free life as far as her race is concerned or her ethnic background is concerned. Um, Jeremy is actually half Chinese. He looks Asian, like he looks Chinese. And that's actually something that he really likes about Wedgford as well, because he doesn't live in Wedgford full time. And so when he goes there, he becomes a different person. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) He gets to take off his everyday troubles and concerns and everything and be himself and be authentic and be accepted. The locals, they do tease him. Like they call him Posh Jim. He has the Eaton accent. Like they do understand he is not socioeconomically where they are. Right. He is one of them. Like he has been brought into the fold. Yeah. So Jeremy, he's definitely from the aristocracy As far as he knows, the town doesn't know who he really is. (laughs) When he first started coming to Wedgford, he was 11 years old, and he was actually on the way to visit his cousin, and he decided mid-trip that, no, I'm going to stay here and see what it's like at this village. Yeah, because he heard about the village. (laughs) Like, he heard about the diversity there, and he was like, huh, maybe there's somewhere else where I see people that resemble me. And And when he was 11, it made sense 
to hide his identity, like who he really is, as a protective measure. But he's actually never fully revealed who he really is to these people who are essentially his friends and his found family. Mm-hmm. And his one true love, which is Chloe. And that's part of the reason why he has never pushed for a serious relationship with Chloe to this point. Because there's still this lie of omission between them. Jeremy is the Duke of Lansing. Mm -hmm. Through a series of unfortunate events that happened to his family, he became the Duke. His father was, I think, a third son. And so didn't think that this would ever be a problem and actually went and lived in China and married a Chinese woman and had Jeremy and then oops now you're the duke (laughs) (laughs) and now your son is the heir and he's entirely quote inappropriate to be the heir because he's biracial yeah so the duke moved his family to England and Jeremy's mother was not happy with this move because of the racism that she experienced (laughs) she didn't feel accepted she didn't feel like she could make a home there and she's very unhappy and the second the duke died she packed up her kid and went back to china Mm -hmm. because that's where she was happy (laughs) i don't blame her yeah she was miserable and she was mistreated and so she left which fair enough and then eventually jeremy had to go back to england because he's the heir he's he has to be the duke so his aunt, his father's sister, came to get him, and his mother did not go back to England with him. His mother stayed in China, which seemed, I don't know, I think from my modern point of view, it seems like a really weird choice to me hmm. to let your 11-year-old kid or however young, younger than that, I guess, move to a completely different country without you, their sole parent. But apparently it made sense to everybody, and... The mother was worried about being able to protect him. And Jeremy said, no, your letters will protect me. They keep in touch and he loves his mom. But I think even at that age, he knew she would not be happy back in England. But he had duty calling. (laughs) So he had to go. And his aunt loves him. She's just not aware or... It's a love that's difficult to understand. At least it was for me. Yeah. I appreciate how her worldview and her priorities are just outside of what I understand. (laughs) Because she she (laughs) wants to put the family, quote unquote, the family name, the family identity above the individual identities. Right. And that is more important to her. She loves him, but she's racist. Yeah. And she prioritizes the role that he holds over who he is as a person and his well-being as a person. Yeah. Her main goal is for him to marry the right sort of type of woman, which would be a white person, and have babies who pass as white and eventually be forgotten as part of the lineage of the role of the Duke of Lansing. Yeah. Because having a Chinese duke is not, quote, appropriate at this time in England. Yeah. Or possibly even now. Who knows? Racism's still a thing, y'all. This is true. So Jeremy has returned to Wedgford. He has this big plan. He wants to declare his love to Chloe and ask her to be his wife. But he has a couple problems. One is she doesn't know who he really is. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a big, big issue. And then two, he doesn't think that she would believe that he actually cares about her and loves her as she is. And then three, he's concerned about her well-being. If she marries him, would she be as unhappy as his mother was? Yeah. He doesn't want that for her. And that is partly why he's put it off for so long. So they bump into each other. <laughs> he almost immediately says to her, hey, I want you to make me a list of qualities that I would like in a wife so I can give it to my aunt. My aunt wants me to get married. And she's like, okay, well, like, what would those qualities be? And he's like, well, basically exactly you. I want a list of all your qualities. <laughs> <laughs> and initially, Chloe denies him. She's like, no, I can't. That That's not something I, I can do. And he eventually starts naming money. I'll give you a pound. I'll give you five pounds. And Chloe says, no, no, no. And then when he says he would give her 10 pounds, she finally says yes. And this brings to light the disparity in their economic statuses because that's nothing to him. 10 pounds is yeah. whatever, pocket change. To her, this is a life-changing amount of money. Yeah. This would enable her to get this business that she wants for her dad started and running and pay for all the things she needs. And maybe even give them a little bit of a savings, I think, if I understood the amount correctly. Yeah, I think so. And so she does agree and they make plans to meet up later so that they can discuss this list. But when they part, there's this still this awkwardness there because Jeremy wants to say, I want to convince you to marry me, <laughs> even after you realize what a bad bargain that could be for you. <laughs> because he's thinking about like how his mom had issues at court. He's thinking of the negative impact he would have on her life, but he still wants to marry her. That's what he wants. She is the one, <laughs> the one, the only. And he thinks that this list will be a tactic to help her see that what he wants is her. That's his whole reasoning behind the list. I felt it was kind of manipulative and not in a good way, mm -hmm. but it seems to work for the story. What were your thoughts about this list? I think... He tried to use the list as a way of her seeing her positive attributes so that she realized and appreciated that she was worthy of love. And yeah, he went about it in a kind of weird way, but I was okay with it, especially once other things are divulged later in the story. He's a teasing sort of fellow, so it makes sense that it would have this sort of playful approach. What were your thoughts? I think you're right, but I think it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it increased the amount of dishonesty between them with him not telling her outright that the list is her. And I think he still could have played it off and him not be as directly dishonest, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the way it plays out in the story, it's evident that he knows her very well and the list works. Yeah, I think he just doesn't think that she'd believe it. He does think she wouldn't believe it, and she doesn't believe it. But at the same time, I think he could have told her straight up what the list actually was, and she still wouldn't have believed it. I guess I just sort of feel like he is kind of telling her she's just not believing until she does. It's not as straightforward, you're right, but I don't think it's that deceptive. 
I think it just compounds the lies. Mm. So first, she doesn't know who he actually is, as far as he thinks. Now he's added on this additional thing. Yeah, I appreciate that. And to me, with my very black and white (laughs) thinking, I'm like, no lies, never. (laughs) How could she possibly trust him now? (laughs) So obviously that tactic would not work on me, but it does work on her. So like I said, I mean, he knows who she is and what she's willing to accept. After they meet and have this whole conversation and agreement, Chloe goes back home. The first thing she does after she says hello to her father is go and pray to her mother. Chloe's mother died when she was a baby. She has no living memory of her mother. And she's been raised completely by her father. And her father has made Chloe's mother a very prominent figure in Chloe's life, even though she's not alive. They have the custom of praying to their ancestors. So they have like a altar or an area where Chloe can go and talk to her mother and tell her about what's going on with her life, whatever sort of communication she wants to have, really. And it's it's something she does every day. Every time she comes home, I got the impression. Chloe's father really hasn't divulged much of himself to Chloe whatsoever. All the stories about his life center around Chloe's mother. He doesn't talk about himself at all. He talks about Chloe's mother, Chloe's uncle, why her mother chose the name that she did for Chloe, because Chloe's her anglicized name. She has a Chinese name that follows their family tradition of being partially the mother's name with other characters surrounding it. Yeah, it's her mother's family's tradition. I liked that, like having the little, was it Jade symbol and then like in the character? That was cool. Yeah. Her name means the sound of feathers. And every once in a while, her dad will talk about, oh, that's what your mother wanted for you is for you to live up to your name. And Chloe feels like she doesn't fit that at all, because as far as she can tell, the sound of feathers is nothing. And she is not a quiet person. She is very independent and determined, speaks her mind. And so she has this part of her that feels like she's not living up to what her mother would want. After she prays to her mom, her and her dad talk about their plans for launching the unnamed sauce, which they actually refer to it as unnamed sauce. Like that's its (laughs) actual name. For most of the story, that's how they refer to it. This is her dad's baby. Her dad was brought to England to work for White and Whistler, which are people who owned a sauce making factory or something like that. And they hired him to develop a new sauce for them. He did. And then they fired him. And then they went off and stole his recipe and made it very, very popular in England. But he got none of the benefit of that. And so he's been working on unnamed sauce forever. (laughs) I think 10 years. Yeah, as his big fuck you to White and Whistler. Like, this is going to be better than any possible sauce you could ever have. And you will be put out of business and disgraced and whatnot. This is really the only thing that Chloe's father does for himself. Everything else he kind of does for Chloe. And Chloe has seen this about her dad and she wants to help him. Like he does so much for her. She wants to help him and and be a part of his his revenge. (laughs) She wants to help him meet his goals. (laughs) She's kind of spearheaded this whole 
launch of the sauce at the trials this year. And he's given her the dubious honor of coming up with a name for it. And Chloe has been obsessing over this name for like over nine months at this point. She just can't decide on a name because it has to be the quote perfect name. Mm -hmm. But nothing is perfect. Nope. <laughs> but Chloe cannot accept that. <laughs> no, it has to be. And it's getting down to the wire now because she has to have the name so that her friend Andrew can make the stamp for the labels so that they can then label the jars that they're putting the sauce in so that they can then sell the jars. So it's this big old avalanche of complications because she still hasn't come up with a name. So now it's two days before the trials are to begin. So we're really close to the wire for this sauce, the sauce launch. <laughs> and Chloe and Jeremy meet up to discuss the list. They're both feeling angsty. He's feeling angsty because of his lie of omission to the town. Mm -hmm. It's not just Chloe that doesn't know who he is. The whole town doesn't know who he is. And he basically owns the town. Like, this is his land. Yeah, I think the, ma the majority of it, if not all of it. And the people who live there are tenants, and they owe him back rent. Yeah, like 50 plus years. Yeah, and he's never collected the rent. The land has kind of been forgotten by the Duke, and the town has made it kind of a running joke, especially when they see him <laughs> about, oh, the Duke who didn't, the Duke who fucked off and left us alone. Yes, his friend Andrew, <laughs> aka Mr. Swan, really gives him a hard time. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, they all tease him about it. And he thinks it's because, oh, he's from the aristocracy. And even though they don't know who he really is, you know, he must know this Duke. So he thinks it's just like being teased about it. But it makes him feel angsty, too, because he wants to be able to tell these people who he really is. But he's worried they won't like him anymore. He's worried he won't fit in anymore. He won't have his community or found family anymore. They'll turn their backs on him. Meanwhile, Chloe's feeling angsty because Jeremy coming back has brought forth all these feelings that she's been suppressing. And she's very upset that she didn't tell him no after he kissed her instead of before. <laughs> she's like, oh, I should have let him kiss me first at least and then told him no, you have to be serious. When they meet up, she says she wants to have an addition to their deal where he agrees not to debauch her and she'll let him kiss her. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, of course. That sounds great. I love it. Because <laughs> that's what he wants. He wants to kiss her. I mean, he wants to... I mean, he doesn't want to debauch her, but he wants to be physical mm -hmm. with her. And then they start talking about the list and she tries to move it into this realm of logic and rationality and, oh, there must be things about me that you don't like. We should identify the things that are different from me that should go on this list. Jeremy's like, no, there's nothing different <laughs> from you at all on the list. It's exactly you. That's what I want on the list. I just imagine her doing so much <laughs> eye rolling. I know. <laughs> she brings up all her negative as she perceives some qualities and he starts reframing them like, you're not bossy, you're determined. Of course I would want a wife with those qualities. Why wouldn't I? And she says, well, you didn't say anything about intimidating because that's one of her negative quote qualities. And he says, well, it's not negative. Of course, I want an intimidating wife. I want a wife who I know 
her enemies will cower before her. <laughs> I want a wife who tells me when I'm wrong. <laughs> she starts the list and she puts intimidating right oh, at the top there. Worry, buddy. <laughs> but she's kind of nonplussed at this point. She doesn't really know what he's doing with this list. Maybe you want a wife that looks like me who has like glasses and long dark hair, but do you actually want all these other qualities? And he keeps reaffirming, yes, I want every single one of those qualities. <laughs> Put them all on the list. Reminded me of the cake song where it was like, he wants a girl whose nails like shine like justice or something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. And a voice that is dark like tinted yes. glass. <laughs> <laughs> he wants a badass. And it makes sense. The position that she would be in, she needs to be a badass to survive. Yes, absolutely. After they meet up and talk, Chloe goes to meet up with her friend Naomi, who is a cook at the town's inn and is also going to help her sell the unnamed sauce at the trials. And she has this agreement that she'll bring, I think, 100 jars to Naomi to sell. And then Naomi will get to keep half the profits. But that'll widen their scope of where they're able to sell the sauce. And then Naomi will use the sauce, of course, in her cooking. So that will also help promote the sauce. And Naomi kind of gets on Chloe's case about not having come up with a name yet. <laughs> and Chloe's like, yeah, I know. It just has to be the perfect name. And I can't. I don't know what it is. And Naomi's like, well, you need someone to sit on you and make you come up with it. I'll do that for you if you do something for me. And so Chloe makes a deal with Naomi that she'll come back later that day and Naomi and Andrew will hang out with her and basically force her to come up with a name. But in return, Chloe has to give Naomi 200 jars to sell and also hide one of the frauds for the for the trials. And then they gossip about Jeremy, too, because Naomi knows that Chloe's into him and she's sure that he's into her. Naomi basically tells Chloe, yeah, you know, if you guys did stuff, you know, you could tell <laughs> me about it. That'd be fine. Like, I'm interested. You know, I'm not going to judge you or tell anyone because, again, that would be a big deal <laughs> if it got out. Yeah. But Chloe says, no, he doesn't want me. He wants me to write him a list of all the qualities he wants in a wife. <laughs> <laughs> and then Naomi offers to poison him, which I thought was like the best best friend response ever. I know their conversation. I was like, we've had conversations like that, it seems. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I'll probably be feeding him during the trials. Do you want me to poison him? <laughs> After Chloe's done talking to Naomi, uh, she goes out into the dining area of the inn and Jeremy has been waiting to meet up with her. He sees her exit the kitchen and she's being teased by a couple of men who live in town who like take away her clipboard and they make fun of her and stuff. And they're they're kind of mean flirty, I think. And Chloe is just not having it. She's very upset because her list is her life and they took it away. How dare they? So Jeremy goes over to rescue her and he gets the clipboard back and gives it back to her. And he tells the men, you know, it's okay to tease if it's consensual teasing. <laughs> and they're like, if she agrees to be teased, is it actually teasing then? <laughs> <laughs> Chloe and Jeremy go outside and Chloe starts telling him about, oh, I took on more stuff to do today and I have to rearrange my list of daily tasks now. And Jeremy's very understanding about it. 
she's like trying to figure out, okay, well now I have to fill extra bottles of the unnamed sauce and I have to make time to hide this token and I have to go back and talk to Naomi and Andrew so that they can force me to come up with a name. She's kind of freaking out a little bit. It feels like she's taken on too much. And she even points that out to Jeremy. She's like, yeah, I don't think you want this quality in a wife. And he's all, well, if it's exactly like you, (laughs) yes, I do. (laughs) Did you not get the memo? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've told you again and again, woman. If it's exactly like you, it goes on the list. (laughs) But he does help her prioritize her list. And he offers to help fill the jars. But she's like, no, you don't be too slow. And he's like, you can't do it. You need to sleep, too. (laughs) And she's like, well, I could ask my dad to do it, but his hands will cramp up and then it will impact his health. I guess like if his hands get too crampy, then it starts giving him bad headaches. So she doesn't want to ask her dad to do it, even though she kind of knows that's the answer. She does have to ask him. And Jeremy points that out. He's like, well, how would your dad feel if you didn't ask him? Mm. Yeah, you're right. As Chloe's kind of obsessing about her list and this stuff with her dad and all her negative qualities and all the stuff she has on her plate, Jeremy's like, well, we should maybe take use of this time and do some of the kissing now so that we're using our time wisely. (laughs) And he takes her hand and he's like kissing the palm of her hand and kissing her fingers and she really likes it, but it also really puts her off. She's just like, no, you can't be doing this. (laughs) She pulls her hand away. She tells him, yeah, that's not what I signed up for with the kissing. And he goes, well, I was just trying to make good use of our time. And she says, well, the hand thing is unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) I liked that scene. I could totally picture it in my head. You know, he's just being all cute and playful with her, like letting her obsess. And (laughs) she gets distracted by him kissing her hand and it freaks her out. (laughs) They go back to her house so she can talk to her dad. She, she doesn't exactly ask her dad to fill the extra jar. She more or less says, you know, I have this problem here. And her dad's like, well, I could fill the extra jars. And then she says, well, are you sure that won't hurt you? And he's like, it's not your problem anymore. I said I would do it. And they all have lunch together along with Jeremy. And her dad gives Jeremy's food extra <laughs> spice. <laughs> I loved it. This is a thing that happens multiple times in this story. Um, Every time they have a meal with the dad, the dad spices Jeremy's food. Yeah. (laughs) This first time, Jeremy, like, takes a bite of it, and the spice, like, starts creeping up on him, right? And then Chloe realizes what's going on, and she tells her dad, stop terrorizing him. And her dad says, I'm not terrorizing him. We're having a little conversation over a meal. (laughs) And then... (laughs) And Jeremy says, well, you know, you could use words that would be more specific. And her dad's like, oh, I don't feel the need to be specific with words. And Jeremy says, oh, yeah, of course. Why use specifics to express ourselves when we could instead strike fear into the hearts of our enemies with a handful of dried plant material? And then her dad says, neither my English nor my Cantonese is as good as my cooking. I don't know how to express this particular sentiment any Hmm. other way. Jeremy thinks that her that Chloe's dad is being protective. He kind of takes it as something that he deserves. He thinks about his mom and how his mom wanted to protect him and everything. And so he just kind of takes it as, okay, well, this is this is my life now. Now I get spiced out every time I eat here. <laughs> After that, Jeremy helps Chloe hide the fraud, the widge lot. 
One of the things they talk about while they're off hiding this thing is this list that Chloe's supposed to make for him. She's trying to differentiate between herself and the list. She's like, no, remember, we're making a list of general things about women like me, but not me. You say general, but I hear specific. (laughs) Jeremy is very much like, no, the whole point of this is that I'm not (laughs) joking. I want it to be exactly like you with all of your characteristics, not some of them. It doesn't differ from you at all. It's exactly you. (laughs) And then they kind of veer off into talking about what she would want in a man. Jeremy's like, well, maybe that should be on the list too. Do I measure up? to this woman on the list. Chloe talks about Jeremy, essentially, but she doesn't say it's him. She talks about how she met a man and thought he was perfect, but he was never going to be right because he always left and he left her alone. He realizes that she's talking about him. She says, I want someone who stays. And she sounds very sad. This brings Jeremy to the realization that his leaving hurt her. I think up to this point, he didn't realize that Chloe could possibly feel the depth of emotion for him that he currently feels for her. Mm -hmm. He thought this was one-sided. Yes, the doubt. To find out that he's been inadvertently hurting her every time he leaves appalls him. He doesn't ever want to hurt her again. Then they talk about the kiss. And she kind of has these goals for the kiss. Like, you're the perfect person to practice kissing on because you don't care about me. This can't mean anything. You're going to leave and it won't be a problem anymore. Then I'll get to have the experience that I want to have. And, you know, my life is going to be busy. So who knows if I'll ever get around to kissing anyone ever again (laughs) after this. (laughs) I don't know. She doesn't have a man in her future. (laughs) In her brain, anyway. Jeremy's like, no, it does mean something and it would mean something and then he says well we seem to be in complete disagreement about what a kiss would mean but we should do it anyway (laughs) (laughs) so they do and it's wonderful but it makes her feel vulnerable and so run away (laughs) don't feel your feelings run away from them I think she starts feeling out of control. That's a big thing for Chloe. She wants to be in control of her life. That's part of the thing with the lists. That's part of the thing with this deal with the kissing. And she feels like he got the upper hand. And if he has the upper hand, then she doesn't feel like she's in control. And if she doesn't feel like she's in control, she's worried she'll start feeling things. Little does she know, she already feels things. So Chloe's dad has gone off to start putting the sauce into extra jars. And Jeremy shows up. And he's like, I want to help you. And he's like, yeah, no, you suck at this. Like, <laughs> But it turns out that they can be a good partnership. Jeremy can ready the next jar while he's filling the current jar. And that does help him go a little bit faster. And so while they're working together, they have a little talk about Jeremy's intentions toward Chloe. Her dad lets out a little secret, which is that he knows that Jeremy is the Duke of Lansing. And this blows (laughs) Jeremy's mind. He's like, well, he couldn't possibly have told Chloe because then she would never speak. No one else in town must know because they're still friendly to me. So he's holding this close to the chest and he must know this because he's cooked for people who... (laughs) He tells himself some things. Yeah, he kind of spirals a little bit. They also have a conversation about the sauce, how it's not a Chinese sauce because the culture of the bacteria that ferment the sauce is derived from 
the town of Wedgford. It wouldn't taste the same if it was made somewhere else. I thought that was kind of interesting, like this whole little, oh, huh, that affects the taste of things. I mean, it makes sense, but it's not something I've really mm -hmm. thought about before. But it just means that the sauce <laughs> is British, even though he's using his methods of cooking, which originated in China and then progressed after he moved. Meanwhile, Jeremy has two words in his head. He has the word stay, which is what Chloe wants, and grow, which is the advice Chloe's father gave him. Whatever will he do? Moving on, now we're at the evening. This is a very long day. I don't know how they pack all this into a day, but... Sometimes the days are long. Chloe is back at the inn with her friends Naomi and Andrew, and Jeremy is also there. And they are brainstorming the unnamed sauce's name. I think they settle finally on Wedgeford Brown because it's descriptive. Now you know where it comes from. You know where to go to get it. So it would help with sales. It's something they love. They all love their village. So Andrew can make the stamp and then they can make the labels and then they can label the jars and Yay. then they can sell the jars. They do have a little bit of a worry about the name because Wedgeford is the Duke's land and they're worried that this would draw attention to the fact that they're all there and they don't pay rent. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy says, <laughs> fuck the damn Duke. After 50 some years of neglect, you could use his actual name and he'd have no right to object. <laughs> and then Andrew says, Oh, please, Posh Jim, enlighten us, as you are so well-versed in the subject. How do powerful dukes think about these things? And Jeremy's like, oh, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> Andrew's like, what if the duke does someday care? <laughs> and so Jeremy says, if you need lawyers, I will fund them out of my own pocket if I have to. It's fine. It will be fine. <laughs> yeah, he got a little too close about telling the truth uh -oh. there. So we have all sorts of angst. We get a bit of backstory between Chloe and Jeremy, how Jeremy helped ease her in making friends in town, which is just so funny because he was the <laughs> outsider. But Chloe had anxiety and it wasn't until he invited her to play with them that she felt comfortable playing. So I think it's the following day and Chloe's stamping away at the labels and Jeremy is there watching her. He's kneading dough. Chloe says that Jeremy's doing this on purpose. And Jeremy's like, what am I doing on purpose? And Chloe's like, this list, you're making me think that the list is me. But it's not me. It's the girl your aunt is supposed to find. And Jeremy says, it is on purpose. And I'm doing it for a reason. And you should guess the reason now. And she's like, it's not me. You don't mean me. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks at her. <laughs> she's all it doesn't make any sense to be me oh my god i'm spiraling and he's like you make perfect sense to me and so she's so close but she's not quite there yet <laughs> she even says i can't let myself think it's me don't be cruel to me he apologizes at that point for leaving and he says that he left because he was trying to be serious for her and he can't tell her about it yet but he'll tell her about it later all right meanwhile we find out the the father's hands are hurting. He filled the jars. He went too far. His hands are now bothering him. He hasn't used any money to buy the medicine that he should have to help him because he doesn't prioritize his own health. He prioritizes Chloe. So he let her think that he had enough 
But enough was none (laughs) as far as he was concerned. Now Chloe is very worried. She doesn't want her father to be out of commission tomorrow because that's when they're launching the sauce and he needs to be there to have the success. Chloe's like, well, I could go to London and I could get the medicine for you. Or you could not. (laughs) Yeah, that's what her dad says. She's like, but I don't have any money and I don't have the time really. And I don't have this, that or the other. And Jeremy says, well, I'll give you the money. And Chloe thinks he means like, oh, I'll pay you early for the list. Chloe's arguing with her dad. She's trying to make him prioritize himself. Her dad is trying to diminish his own importance because Chloe's the one who matters, as family does. And then her dad says something like, oh, you need to live up to your name or something along those lines. And it just hurts Chloe's feelings because she still has this assumption about what he means by that. Does that mean shut up and let you win? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, the sound of feathers. Jeremy comes to the rescue. He's like, well, I can get someone to bring from London. We could meet in Dover. I'll go with you there. We'll pick it up. and We'll bring it back. And I'll fix all these things. I'll help you out. Chloe's like, I can't let you do that. He's like, why not? Think of how it hurts you to see your father not wanting help. Are you going to make me feel like that? And she says, that's different. I love my father. And he says, Chloe she's still in denial jeremy gives her a bit of a reality check you know how much it bothers you that your dad doesn't take his own needs seriously yeah you do that too (laughs) touche a little harsh (laughs) before they leave to go to dover chloe goes in to check on her dad and things are not good he's starting to have the headaches he doesn't feel well she's worried about him this is her dad this is her one constant in her life she says i want to fix your pain if i can i know i'm not living up to my mom but please let me be your daughter and then her dad drops a bomb on her and he says it's not a matter of what i'll allow as far as letting her be his daughter he says i'm ashamed to allow you to act as my daughter because you are not my daughter your mom was my sister not my wife you are not my daughter And then she realizes that every time that her dad has told a story about himself, he'd just given her a look and then told her a story about her mother and her mother's younger brother instead. And she's like, oh, he actually was telling me about himself. And she remembers the incense that she had to burn two of them, which is unusual. Yes, because the father is also dead. Yeah, so she wasn't just burning it for her mother like she originally thought. I mean, she was, but... Yeah. Yeah. And then her dad explains the name thing to her. He says, quiet? That's not what your name is for. She knew you were shy from the moment you were born. She didn't want you to be quiet. She just knew you would be. Oh, Chloe frowned. But what does my name mean then if she didn't want me to be quiet? The sound of feathers, quiet, yes, but the ascending on wings, free, not weighed down by anything that we went through. That's what she wanted for you. So... Her dad slash uncle has been feeling like he's weighing her down this whole time with his petty revenge and whatnot. That's why he's not let her help him as much as she's wanted to. He wanted her to fly free. And she's like, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can be free and still have my family. Like I can still care about you. I can still help you. Loving you is not going to weigh me down. So her dad is like, okay, fine. (laughs) 
I guess he's realized, you know, I told her the truth and now I have to let her be an adult, make her own decisions. Jeremy and Chloe are now on their trip to Dover to pick up her dad's meds. And Jeremy tells her a little bit about his situation. Basically, aside from telling her that he's the Duke, he's telling her the truth. All the crappy stuff he had to deal with as a child, how he ended up being in the position that he's currently in, how he needs to find a, quote, appropriate wife, a suitable wife, because he's not suitable because he looks Chinese. Ugh. He, he tells her how he tried to be serious, like he went to school and he ended up getting fucked over on an exam because he did excellent on it. And then everyone was like, well, that mm. couldn't possibly be right. <sighs> they lowered his grade because <laughs> yeah. racism. He tells her, like, how could I possibly ask you to be my bride, my wife, if I couldn't protect you from my world? You know, I have this horrible shit that I deal with all the time. How can I offer that to you? <laughs> and that's why he left. And that's why he didn't come back for a while. And he ended up going to visit his mom in China, get advice from her. And the advice that his mother gave him is to ruthlessly prune out all the poisonous vines in his path. And that he should accept no less for himself than he would for Chloe. He, he doesn't know what to do with that advice initially even at this point in the story he still doesn't really know what to do with that advice like he's ready to prune out the negative vines but he's not sure how or what his mom means specifically and then he tells her the truth about the list and right as he starts to do that the horse trips and they fall off the horse and so whoops now they have to walk <laughs> she finds out that he named his horse after her <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> which is actually like, as soon as he funny. was like i don't want to tell you the name i was like oh my god no he didn't oh he did like, oh no. he did then they decide they have to go stay the night at an inn and he'll get a couple rooms for them and chloe's like well maybe there will only be one room available <laughs> what if that happens and jeremy's like um there won't be there will be more than one room available it's fine and chloe's like no what if there is only one though <laughs> Let me say it louder <laughs> and with clearer words, <laughs> with better diction <laughs> and emphasis. And then when they do get to the inn, he asks for a couple rooms. They're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then Chloe's like, no, I think you only have one room available. Isn't that correct? <laughs> I so could imagine you in that moment. <laughs> You're not hearing me. Hear me clearer. And then the innkeeper looks at Jeremy and he's like, sir. And Jeremy says, yes, you heard the lady correctly. You have only one room. We are exceedingly lucky that we arrived in time to find Give it. Give the lady what she wants. <laughs> and then the innkeeper says, we have only one room, but it is the best of the four remaining, I suppose. Is that the right thing to say? Poor guy doesn't know what to do. Women with opinions and desires. I don't know what to do with these women. What am I supposed to say? Yeah, I think Chloe's like, oh, drat it all. We shall have to share our quarters. Darn. And then the innkeeper's like, well, if you don't want to. And Chloe's like, no, it's perfect. Shut up. <laughs> so they get the sexy times. Chloe has this whole assumption of Jeremy that he is well educated in that department. Which he may or may not have helped along. Yeah, he may or may not have put off that air. 
he reveals to her that he's actually a, a virgin because he's never wanted anyone but her. <laughs> so Aww. why would he do it with anyone else? So it's so sweet. <laughs> But he's all shy about it. And so she actually is kind of bossy about it, which is really kind of fun. I liked the sex scene here because they they were both on equal standing. You know, they were both inexperienced. Chloe took an active role in making sure she's pleased. So often in historicals, it's like the man will say, oh, I will take care of you and it'll be wonderful. And of course it is. But she doesn't understand what's happening to her. And this is much more a scene where Chloe is an active participant in the act, which is, I thought was interesting and very refreshing for a historical. Yes, I like that it was that way. She even lets slip, too, that she's in love with him. Whoopsie. She calls him an idiot and she's like, I can't believe I'm in love with an idiot. He's like, I know it's too bad for you, darling. (laughs) sucks to be you sorry i have limited intelligence but i love you maybe that's not the compliment (laughs) he says i have something to ask you but i think we should have a conversation after the trials so you can think about it he's worried he thinks she's still not going to accept him after she finds out who he really is he thinks that she's fine with the story that he's told her thus far, but she doesn't know the whole story. Will she be fine if she knew the whole story? And he's like, I want you forever, but I need you to wait a day so we can talk about it and I could tell you the whole story. She agrees. She trusts him. So now it is the day of the trials or the first day of the trials. And they're setting up the cart where they're going to sell the sauce. And it's very awkward between... Chloe and Jeremy, because they did stuff. Her dad is right there. Ah, can they read my mind? Oh, dear. And her dad is like, yeah, I'm picking up what you guys are putting down. And you know what? Could you be a little more discreet, please? I've done stuff with others, too. But you never knew about it, did you? And Chloe's like, what the trauma? So much trauma. Don't tell me that. My mind eyes. My mind eyes. He's like, give me the same courtesy. Please. (laughs) But of course, the sauce is a huge hit. It's amazing. Everything's wonderful. This day is wonderful. It's a success. And now it's at the point where Jeremy has to tell her the truth. He's worried he's going to ruin her day. (laughs) Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, he starts acting like what I've done is unforgivable. This is horrible. I don't know how you'll ever be able to handle this and still like me or love me the same way. And Chloe's like, are you already married or something? And he's like, no. She's like, it can't be that bad. Did you kill someone? He's like, no. (laughs) Then he confesses. Yes, I'm the Duke. (laughs) The fucking Duke. His grace good riddance. The Duke who didn't. That's me. And she doesn't say anything. And he just keeps going like, that's who I am. React, please. Are you listening to me? I own your home. You owe me 53 years of rent. She says, surely not. We've only lived here the past 18 years. <laughs> and he says, are you angry or surprised or dismayed or what? And she's all, no, I'm confused. <laughs> and so Jeremy starts going off on like this self-hate spree. Like, oh, of course, you know, I'm a horrific fiend who owns all your land and I'm an awful evil being. And Chloe's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> were you under the impression that nobody knew who you were? <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and she goes, do you think nobody knows you're the Duke? <laughs> and he's like, What? 
<laughs> and she's like, everyone knows you're the Duke. <laughs> you're not anonymous. <laughs> and he's like, well, why didn't anybody ever say anything? And she's like, well, it's Wedgford rules. We don't go around asking people where they're from. It's awkward and unmannerly. <laughs> And that is part of the thing with Wedgford, you know, because they have people with diverse backgrounds. They just kind of, you know, exactly. you live there, you belong. Yay. And then she points out to him, like, <laughs> don't you know how much people tease you? And he's like, what? <laughs> and she's all, you know, how people say, haha, do you think the Duke will like what I've done to his field? Do you think we spend all our time talking about the Duke of Lansing when you're not Wait, here? what? <laughs> <laughs> so he's realizing now he's having one of those oh shit moments you know like his life is flashing before his eyes all those moments people brought up the duke to him was teasing what <laughs> uh finally he's like i feel like i'm getting away with something really awful everyone is supposed to be furious She's like, well, we like you. It's okay. It's fine. And so then he officially asks her to marry him. And she says yes. But now we have more angst. Because Chloe doesn't know exactly what marrying him means. Like, does that mean that she now has to go live with him in his ducal property? Will she be able to be allowed to do the things she likes to do? You know, is she only going to be able to see Wedgford a week out of the year every year or something? Of course, she intends to choose him, but she's not sure exactly what she's choosing. So she's kind of privately freaking out. Oh, no. And then, oh, they fuck against a tree. I do not. And okay, I do not understand the fucking against a tree. How in any way can that possibly feel okay? It's a tree. It has rough bark. Mm-hmm. I've read so many stories where the characters fuck against a tree like it's some amazing thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> dude, lay on the grass. Especially in England, they would have grass. They got enough rain. Yeah, I mean, put down your cloak or something. Like, <laughs> to each know. his own. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a smooth trunked tree. I must admit, I'm not very familiar with the trees of England, so I don't know. So the next day, they let her dad know they're engaged. They let everyone kind of know they're engaged. Hey! It's a thing now. Then Jeremy's aunt shows up because Jeremy has sent her this list that Chloe made for him. And his aunt is like, um, no, this does not work. So as Jeremy and Chloe are outside in front of the townspeople, the aunt descends from her carriage and she's ready to fight. Jeremy introduces Chloe as his fiance. And then his aunt says... You must think before you speak. Saying such things in front of an entire crowd, the breach of promise suit will be immense. And Jeremy says, oh dear, that sounds awful. I know how to avoid a breach of promise suit. What if I simply don't <laughs> breach my promise? <laughs> and then the aunt is like, you seem like a perfectly wonderful village girl, but he cannot marry you. It won't work. And now they're gathering an audience. All the villagers who've been cleaning up after the festival are now cleaning up very close to this altercation. And Jeremy privately thinks, gosh, it's a good thing they all know I'm actually the Duke or else this would really, really suck. <laughs> and the aunt starts going off like, you know, this will never be accepted in society. And this is just horrible and awful. And oh my God, you're supposed to marry a white woman and have white babies. Uh. And Jeremy says, well, you're 
premise is false because we're accepted here. Look around. And the aunt says, this is not society. (laughs) Jeremy says, then I will say it outright. You want me to spend my entire life miserable so that I can be around people who will always think I'm never enough. You're the one who hasn't thought. I don't want to do that. I want to stay where I can grow. And this kind of throws his aunt off because she does love him. It's hard to wrap your mind around it with the way she's acting. But she says, of course, I want you to be happy. But what about London society? Jeremy says, to hell with London society. My mother hated it. I hate it. Chloe would hate it. The feeling is returned. Why would I want my children to grow up spending all their time with people who hate them? And then the aunt is like, but what about our family's name? I care not. Yeah. They, they adjourn to the inn and Jeremy makes sure that the aunt gets served some food with Wedgeford Brown on it. She thinks the sauce is delicious, of course. And then Jeremy says, the sauce has been the life's work of my fiance and her father. That's why I want to stay. I'm marrying into Chloe's family. She's not marrying into mine. And this just sets the aunt off on a whole nother tirade. Like, you can't be doing commercial activities. You're part of the aristocracy. This is terrible. And Jeremy's like, well, I'm going to do what my father should have done. And the aunt says he should have married a different. And Jeremy cuts her off and says, aunt, if you say one word against my mother, I will never speak to you again. And this is where his mother's advice pops into his head. Root out every poisonous vine. So even though his aunt loves him, she's still poisonous. She has toxicity. And while he's made excuse and excuse for her, he realizes he doesn't have to tolerate this. He's going home. Wait, he is home. (laughs) So Jeremy says, like, I'm going to give this land to the people who live here. And then I'm going to stay here because that's what's best for me. Chloe's what's best for me. Wedgeford is what's best for me. He takes the clipboard where Chloe has started this list because she's been angsty about being a duchess. And at the top of the list, it says (laughs) what duchesses do and there's nothing under it. (laughs) And Jeremy writes, whatever duchesses want. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty sweet. And so they get married. And then six months later, they've built a house and it's not as big as his house in london but it's much bigger than the other houses in wedgeford it's sweet he gets to show chloe hit the house and then there's an epilogue for eight years later and at this point they have two children chloe and jeremy and their two kids and chloe's dad are staying in an inn in bristol they're talking about the sauce and they have this whole idea they're gonna finally get their revenge white and whistler are upset because their sauce no longer gets purchased and they're losing all their money and everything and they're there and they have like this whole talk with them and it's like haha you suck (laughs) chloe's dad kind of gets his revenge he gets to do like the whole ha 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 look at me i have succeeded in spite of you It turns out that it doesn't really matter that much after all. Like now that they're family and all the secrets are out, everybody's happy and settled. Like the revenge was nice, but it wasn't like that big a deal. It didn't really matter after all. They're happy anyways. Yeah, it's good that he had helped her work through that. Because could you imagine her holding on to that for eight years? Seriously. (laughs) And that's the end. Yay. How is the audiobook this time? So the audiobook was narrated by Mary Jane Wells, and I really enjoyed her narration. She's very good at capturing each character, I think. 
and maybe I was almost going to say giving them personality beyond the page, but it was on the page. She just really brought it out. So she performed the characters well, I thought. Are you happy for their happy? I'm happy for them. I think they will be happy. I think Chloe will definitely grow into her own and kick ass. What about you? I'm happy for them too. I think they're well matched. I really liked how supportive Jeremy was and how well he knew her. He really studied. (laughs) How much he cared about her. I don't like the lying, but I mean, that is kind of the premise of this story. So I'll give it a pass. And it turned out it wasn't that bad of a lie after all, because she knew the whole time. I was wondering that because I know how you feel about lying. I was like, oh, how this is going to go. I think that helped a lot. The fact that it wasn't that much of a lie after all. I think that if it had turned out that she hadn't known, it may have impacted me differently. But I think overall, the author did a good job of showing Jeremy's motivation in how he's going about this list and helping Chloe understand that she is exactly who he wants in a wife and then hoping that she wants him back. And the author made Jeremy just vulnerable enough that it worked. And Chloe has aspects to her character that Jeremy doesn't have and vice versa. So I think they're a good couple. They they uh-huh. fit each other. They lift each other up. So are you ready to rate them? How do you rate Chloe? I I put her as mostly awesome. I think sometimes her... Uh, I don't know if it was that her awkwardness got in the way. But I definitely really liked her more after a second reading. Because she... I don't know why I had a hard time investing in her, but I did. What helped you invest in her in the second reading? I think maybe because I I knew some of the things already about the end. She knew the whole time who he was. Even though there are hints through the story, I was nervous that he really would be deceiving her that much the whole way. I I don't know why that became more her problem to me than his. Because he was the one doing it. (laughs) That doesn't make sense to me. That's sort of how my brain dealt with that. I don't know why. Maybe because she is so clever. And I think maybe sometimes I was getting frustrated with her over the everything has to be perfect. I'm like, just freaking let it go, dude. Yeah. Breathe. You'll survive. It's fine. Not to sound unsympathetic, which I guess I do. Sometimes there are those moments where it's like everything feels like it's writing on this one thing and you have to get it perfect. And oh, no, if it doesn't happen and... It's hard to live a life like that. And I think that's where it eventually culminated for me, was I was more forgiving of her the second read through of her obsessive need for perfection. I thought maybe if she devoted less time to that, she could have paid attention more to her surroundings or maybe the teasing could have felt more the other way, which I guess it did on the second reading. What about you? I rated her awesome. I really liked Chloe. I thought she was a very well-rounded character. She does have a lot of anxiety and she deals with her anxiety through her lists. Mm -hmm. I think that's a thing a lot of anxious people do. They plan everything out so that they can have more control. And that's what Chloe wants. She wants control. When she is with Jeremy, he helps her ease up on it. I think that he's a good match for her in that way. And so it didn't bother me as much as it could have. Often we get a hero that's super into being controlling and having control and everything like that. And Jeremy is not like that. Chloe is the one who had to learn to let go and enjoy life. And I think she does. And I think that she learns that she can ask for help. 
it's okay. She's worthy of it. She's worthy of getting help. She finally has that talk with her father where she's like, you need to let me love you back. And her father does. And I think that is amazing. I think being able to define her boundaries and this is what I want from this relationship. Is this something you're willing to provide? And her father goes along with it. I thought that was great. I think that she's the type of person that goes for what she wants and whatever she wants, she's going to end up getting because she's that smart. She's determined. She's going to work hard. She's going to make a plan and she's going to make it work. And I think that's awesome. How did you rate Jeremy? I rated him funny, awkward, but mostly awesome. Again, I think I liked him better also on a second listen. (laughs) Yeah. So I think sometimes it was his charming was nice. I did like that he didn't try to control her. He did feel like he fit in with the community. He was comfortable there. I genuinely liked his his sense a little bit of betrayal like they knew the whole time dude yeah that was kind of great though i bet on the second listen that was extra fun <laughs> yeah that was it was almost a little bit too of i don't know i mean andrew messed with him quite a bit actually which is way more apparent on the second listen so that was fun and of course the dad love the dad yeah he's great i don't keep a list of like the great parent characters but he's definitely on it But I kind of wish, like, Chloe had, I mean, and she did a little bit, but, like, taking more of the Mickey out of him, I think that would have been fun. Yeah, that the teasing was more reciprocal. Yeah, and he was good-natured about stuff, you know? He wasn't, like, macho alpha asshat. That was delightful. Yeah. I think every time we have a hero like that, I'm like, you're just lovely. Can I just say, like, it's so lovely (laughs) that you don't feel like you have to gur your way through life. What about you? Yeah. (laughs) I rated Jeremy awesome. Yay. I was predisposed to not like him because of the lying. Mm. But Mm -hmm. he has such a fun personality. He's so chill. He is. He teases, but it's like a a nice, friendly sort of teasing. Like he invites you to enjoy the teasing. Yes. Instead of making fun of you. Yeah. Yeah. Come play with me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he is hopelessly devoted to Chloe, which was very cute. I do enjoy a pining hero. And I think he (laughs) did pine for a long time because he felt he wasn't worthy. I liked that he had the whole plan. Like, I'm going to make her realize that this list is her. Yes. Somehow. In a supportive way, (laughs) which was good. Yeah. And every time she brought up something that she thought was negative, he's like, no, I actually really like that. That needs to go on the list. (laughs) (laughs) It was sweet. And it made it easy to like him. The fact that he wants to lift her up. I did feel bad for him, too. Like, he had a really shitty upbringing. Like, ever since he moved back to England, he just kind of had to deal with the racist aristocracy. (laughs) So I could totally see why he felt like Wedgford was his home, you know, the place he was meant to be. What about the villains or antagonists in the story? I would say Chloe is a bit of her own antagonist because it certainly wasn't Jeremy. He's like, please, please. And she's like, no, no. (laughs) But she had excellent reasons to do that. Like, I think sometimes she got in her own way because she had to be perfect or she didn't want to get ruined or, you know, and I'm not 
saying that these are bad or false. It's just she was her own antagonist. It's just, it feels more like stating a fact. And it was effective. It was good. And I guess Jeremy was his own too. Although it didn't feel like it was necessarily to the extent that Chloe was. I think his happened off the page Mm -hmm. when he recounts like his past to her. And he's risen above it by the time the story starts. That's a good point. So, of course, the list continues because <laughs> I can't stop there. Obviously, it's the entitled saucy assholes. Yeah. They're just, ugh. White ugh. and Whistler. Yeah. <laughs> Those fuckwits. And the ant kind of gets roped in with this just a little bit, but the whole social concept of race and racism and all of that. What about you? So I put White and Whistler on the list because they're the whole driving force behind the revenge that Chloe and her father want. And they weren't really on the page. And by the time that they were, they were no longer present. But I think they were kind of effective as antagonists in that they caused Chloe and her dad to do the things they were doing. Yeah, they felt present without being present. Yeah, they wouldn't have persevered and tried so hard to succeed if they didn't have the looming horribleness that is White and Whistler hanging over them. Her father's stolen legacy of the sauce that they took from him. I also put the aunt on the list. Mm -hmm. I feel like she gets her own slot because she is responsible for having raised Jeremy from a fairly young age and preparing him for English society and has essentially tried to teach him to hate himself, tried to teach him to hide who he really is so that he can be appropriate for English society and While she does care about him, she also is a product of that society and she does not critically think about her views. You know, she's racist because everyone that she's around is racist. And then when she's faced with a child and her family that she's supposed to help, her actions are informed by that racism. Totally. It was a really interesting part of the story, honestly, the way Jeremy was treated as other throughout i i think a lot of times um historicals they focus on white couples and it's not like people of color suddenly appeared after you know the victorian (laughs) area they've always been around they've had love stories too (laughs) i liked that that this was one of those and i liked that the author didn't shy away from that aspect of the story either because at the time in that part of the world it rung true to me as accurate it may or may not have been but i did read the author's note and um it sounds like the author drew on um the life experiences of family members and things like that yeah so it kind of sounds like that helped inform not just that aspect of the story but definitely that aspect of the story i also listed you know, the rest of the racist assholes, (laughs) society at large or whatnot, because of course, the ant is a product of society. Yeah, the innkeeper was was a little bit too. Yeah, the innkeeper, for example, because the innkeeper puts them off initially until he realizes, oh, you have money? Oh, (laughs) okay. And then he's fine with them. But yeah, you're right. And I glossed over that. That experience was uncomfortable initially for them. Understandably. And for the reader, I thought. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You want to reach through the page, but sadly, not possible. And you're not wrong. I think, of course, they're their own antagonists in a way. I mean, even Chloe's father, to an extent, I think Chloe and her father are kind of antagonistic toward Mm. each other, Mm -hmm. you know, each trying to put the other's needs ahead of their own, that type of thing. 
I think while there isn't like a clear, oh, you're the villain of the story, you know, this isn't one of those stories. No. I think that the antagonists were effective. I think that it felt present. It felt like it pushed the story forward and, you know, it was important to the story. Yeah, the story still had tension and conflict, which is what you need, which usually is squarely in a quote-unquote villain form. It often is, I mean, this story proves it doesn't have to be. Okay, so how do you rate the book? So I know we don't like to go, like, in between a point five or whatever, (laughs) and I really was, like, I was teetering. Since I enjoyed it so much the first time, I did read it the second time to sort of squarely put it somewhere, Uh because I went back and forth. It was not, like, an easy thing. So I settled on a 4.5. Wow. I know. That's really high. It was right in between there, and I'm like, I can't. I tried to move it, but then things did not shift. Stubborn (laughs) brain. I really did enjoy it. It was good. What about you? I rated it a three. I enjoyed it. It took me a little bit to get into. The characters are very much in their heads, which took me a little bit to get into as well. Mm -hmm. But once I found the author's rhythm, I was able to be more immersed in the story and enjoy it quite a bit. It was very funny. There were parts that were very funny. There were parts that were very poignant. There is the lying, of course. That's a big, big no-no for me. I guess I'm a little more flexible with it. (laughs) At least in a story. There has to be a reason and there was a good enough reason. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, ultimately it was forgivable. Well, did you feel romance? Yeah, I think so. I really liked the chemistry that they had. I feel like we had a lot of good couple time and they had this longstanding relationship from before that the author made feel real. It felt like they knew each other really, really well. And that really worked for this story. I think if the author hadn't done such a good job with building that sense of history and connection between them, that some of the other parts of the story would have Mm -hmm. fallen flat. Oh, like I talked about earlier, I think that especially the first sex scene was really good. The extra characterization that it brought to the story was great. The fact that, you know, they are on equal footing in that way. And Chloe is an active participant. I thought that was awesome. And even Jeremy was a little (laughs) shy at that point. So it was kind of cute. He wanted it just as badly, but felt worried about it. So yeah, I I mean, I think they're a good couple together. I felt romanced. What about you, Em? Did you feel romanced? I didn't on the first read, but did <gasps> on the second. What? That's so exciting. You haven't this felt romanced true. in a while. <laughs> Do you have reasons? I don't know. I think you're right. At least with the first listen, it was harder to get into the story. And maybe because they were so in their heads. And I think by the second time, I felt like I already knew them. There was a bit of a shortcut built in because it was so close. Like that was another reason why I listened to it again because I was like, it's almost, but not quite. So you gave it another chance. Second chance for a Oh, That's great. So, Em, what else have you been reading? Okay, brace yourself. (laughs) It's called Planet (laughs) Palm, and it's by Jocelyn Zuckerman. And it's how palm oil ended up in everything and endangered the world and is continuing to endanger the world. It's not like it has stopped. 
So yeah, it covers about 300-ish, 250-ish years of colonialism and capitalism. Very informative. I will definitely be rereading it. I did delay reading it for a while. It's one of those books like, I really want to read it, but it's going to hurt and it's going to make me mad. I don't want to hurt and I won't be mad right now. So I'm going to wait just a little bit. Which makes me feel way more like a child and less like an adult, but there you go. Well, you are you have to wait till you're ready for that experience. And I guess I was now, because now I'm mad, so that's, that's something. <laughs> I definitely think you will find it informative. I mean, it's hard to say that if you'll like it, because it's not really one of those books. You'd appreciate learning more. <laughs> It'll hurt your heart, probably. It did mine. I still have a soul. Yay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, I think it was Good an job. interesting little note because we've mentioned Austin. <laughs> the only reason I'm noting this is just because romance novels or whatever. But Zuckerman does point out like, where did all those Austin heroes get their wealth? Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And and it's the thing. And she's like, the, the heroines never did question it, but they did because Fanny does in Mansfield Park. That is one of the many reasons why that book is my favorite Austin and why I love Fanny because Austin herself <laughs> was trying to grapple with that same thing. And it's tough when you're in that paradigm yeah. and everyone around you is telling you it's right and normal and okay. It's really hard to step outside of that and see what the people outside of it think and feel. And again, if we're funneling this through Austin, to be a woman, to be unmarried, to not have the social standing to do that. She published her novels, her first couple of them, at least, without her name on it. Public shame. Yeah, it's a real thing. Anyway, I digress. So if once you read that book, or even before then, if you want to know about the palm oil practices of whatever product you want to buy, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo has an app for that. Oh, hey. And then you can go through and kind of see... It really is. Like the author even points out, like it's in toothpaste. Yeah, send me the link and I can put it in the show notes too. If anyone who's listening is interested. Let's get on to more fun topics, maybe. <laughs> so what have you been reading? Because it's probably not depressing. <laughs> well, let me give you a guess at the genre. I really want to say Santa just because I feel like it's been a while. I want to <laughs> do like a Santa shout out. <laughs> oh, yeah, sci-fi romance. Yeah! Woo! Go me! <laughs> you win. <laughs> Ooh, what do I win? Uh, you get to hear about this story. <laughs> I'll take it. I've been reading through the Infinite City series by Tiffany Roberts, and I am recommending the first book in the series, which is called Silent Lucidity. Tiffany Roberts is actually the pseudonym of a couple that writes their books together. I thought that was really interesting. And I've read quite a few of their books and they do a really good job with world building. I think that's why I've read so many of their books. Mm -hmm. But Silent Lucidity takes place on a planet where, as I understand it, it's hollow inside and there's a ginormous city inside of it. All sorts of species of aliens live there. It's kind of like an underworld. Um, there are people who live on the surface of the planet, but they're the rich folk. Our mm -hmm. hero is named Tenthal. He is humanoid alien. See, he was born on a primitive planet and his people were captured and enslaved and he was purchased by 
someone he refers to as the master and then trained to be an assassin. The master has this whole dark group of assassins. Uh, none of them are allowed to speak. Most of them have cut out their tongues. Tenthal is the most deadly assassin of them all. And because he was raised as a child to be this way, he doesn't really think about killing people the way that, you know, you or I might because this is his normal. Mm -hmm. You know, he gets sent off on a job. He goes and does it. When we're introduced to him, he's scoping out a job. He goes to this club where he's supposed to kill the owner of the club. And so he's doing some reconnaissance before he comes back later and completes the job. And while he's there, he sees her. <laughs> the heroine of the story is also a slave. She's human. She was captured from Earth and sold to an alien who basically treats her like an exotic pet. She is... Mm the prime specimen in his zoo. And he takes her around with him whenever he goes in public is like a display of his wealth and prestige. One of the things that she's very, very good at is she's a very talented dancer on earth. She, I mean, that's what she did. Her owner will make her dance for everybody, mm -hmm. but he doesn't want anyone to touch her. He sees her as an animal. He thinks it would be gross, like to have sexual relationship with her or whatever, which actually is good. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> this isn't a sex slave for once, so that's nice. Not that her experience is good, but she's up on stage dancing and he sees her and he's just like captivated and he has never cared about a woman before. He's never been interested in anyone really before. He feels like this almost primal part of him that wants her and he goes up on stage and he dances with her and because he is so talented in like martial arts and acrobatics and all these things that make him a great assassin he's able to read her body language well enough that he's able to partner this dance with her and that makes her happy and that's like the first time she's been happy ever since she was captured so he decides Yay. well i'm going to take her for mine <laughs> which causes a whole shitstorm of events to explode behind him because his master doesn't like that and her master doesn't like it and there's a lot of things going on so there's a lot of fighting and running and escaping and all sorts of things and meanwhile you have this tension brewing between the couple because she's not sure is he now her owner or is she actually free to go <laughs> go but it's no. really good and it's the first in a series and it's kind of unconnected from the following books even though we meet the hero of the second book in this book this couple leaves like at the end of this book they're no longer in the oh series. so they take off well spoilers but yeah I mean, it's a happily ever after, so they win. Yay. They get what they want. And I actually really like how it ends. Yeah, it has a good ending. Nice. That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify, or come find us on Twitter at RomanceMeCast. Speaking of Twitter, were you romanced by Chloe and Jeremy's story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss Beach Reads by Emily Henry. Bye! <laughs> oh, my throat hurts from all the talking we did today. We did a lot. More than normal. Patter, patter, I don't know. Patter, patter, patter. I have to be. I have to be. Yeah. Let's do this. I did not agree with that rule.
Show me in writing where I agree to that rule. <laughs>